0: Seventeen. Let's pray. Father, I come before you asking that you would bless this time in your word. Father, would you encourage the believers here? Would you uh, rebuke and correct them? Would your spirit lead them to conviction if they have been living anything but like a child? Oh, Father, would you remind the believers in here of their first love? And Father, I'm no fool to think that everyone in here believes in you. And so, whether it's a person who is adamantly against your word, or if it's somebody who has been living for the past 50 years believing that they are a child but really aren't, Would you convict their souls and allow them to see their need for a Savior? Would you allow them to see how great of a weight their sin is, but how much more mercy you have? Would you allow us the fruit today that comes from this passage of this covenant? I pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Is my microphone on? Yeah? Okay. Second Samuel 7 verses 4 through 17 say this. But that same night the Lord, or the, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel. Saying, why, haven't, why have you not? built me a house of cedar. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the greatest ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. We've been looking at the covenants this past month. And the reason for that is because the, the covenant concept is a central, it's the central unifying theme throughout Scripture that establishes and defines man's relationship or God's relationship to man. God, throughout Scripture, is. Constantly defining his relationship to his creation. And we have seen this so far in four different ways. We have seen this in one promise and three covenants. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were living perfectly, there was no sin, there was no evil. God had created everything perfectly to display his goodness, to display his beauty. And Adam and Eve being tempted by the serpent went and screwed it up. They took that fruit and they ate believing that they could be like God. And instead... When they ate of that fruit, they tore man and God's relationship completely apart. And because God is so holy, sin cannot be in the presence of God. And so God being merciful had to drive Adam and Eve out of the garden However, before he drove them out of the garden, God curses the serpent. And what's a curse to the serpent actually is a promise to mankind. See, God had told the serpent, I will send an offspring through the woman to bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so we get this sense of that God is going to send somebody to restore all things. And in this, we see God creating, we see man falling, and now we see God setting up a plan of redemption and restoration. And we get to the first covenant, the covenant that God sets up with Noah. No man was was righteous in his sight besides Noah. Everyone on earth was completely wicked. And so God sent a flood to judge the world, wiping out mankind entirely. And so this thought may cross our mind. Well, Noah is blameless. And God just eradicated evil. So is Noah the one who was to bruise the head of this serpent? Well, we... We see that Noah fails us as he sins against God. And so we ask the question, did God fail here or does he have something better in store for us? And I made the argument that God, and continues, I continue to make the argument that God has something better in store for us. See, the covenant that he sets up with Noah is a broad covenant to mankind. He says, no longer will I ever, will I ever judge the world by sending a flood like this again. And so we continue on in our quest of the covenants. As we see the next covenant that God establishes with Abram or Abraham now, God tells Abraham, It is through you, Abram and Abraham, that this offspring will come. It is through you that your descendants would be so incredibly vast that if you were to look at the stars of the sky or you were to count the sand that's next to the seashore, you would not be able to count it. That is how big your offspring is going to be and through you Abram you will be a blessing to the nations. And so we see God's faithfulness as he establishes this covenant, as he asks Abram to cut um, and sacrifice animals, laying them one half on one side, the other half on the other. And God walking through that, symbolizing Abram, if I do not keep this covenant with you, cut me in half like you've done to these animals. And so now, the next covenant with Moses and Israel, we see God narrowing in even further to a specific nation as he reminds them and tells them, remember what I have done for you, bringing you out of Egypt and slavery to a place that I wanted you. And because of what I've done for you, now listen and obey my commands. And so, what we are seeing here is that if Genesis 3.15, that first promise, is the fabric that gets laid over the separation that Adam and Eve had caused, then the covenants are the thread that God is using to weave that back together. By defining and establishing his relationship to man. And so what we will see today is God making a covenant with David. which ultimately will show us God's everlasting kingdom. And so before I get into the thick of the passage, we must know a little bit of context about the passage. See, David was... The king, And in verses 1 through 3, we read, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, go, do all that is in your Hearts, for the Lord is with you. King David had noticed something during this time of rest. See, up to this point, David, King David had went around with his army of men and, and God was with him, defeating all of the other enemies in the area to the point where nobody wanted to mess with this guy. David would roll in with his posse and roll out victoriously. God was with him, and during this time of rest, David noticed a problem and an opportunity. See, David during this time of rest wasn't concerned about his glory. History tells us that when there's time of rest, if we can even look at the Egyptians, Pharaoh would build a monument to himself. However, David was concerned about another person's glory. He was not concerned about his own glory. He was concerned about God's glory. And so he tells the prophet Nathan, look, I'm dwelling in a better place than God. If we compare the place, my place, the the place of cedar, my dwelling place to this rickety old tent that God is in, this is apples and oranges. This isn't fair. And so David comes up with this plan to build a house for the Lord. And so Nathan, the prophet, gives David the advice of follow your heart, right? (laughs) Go and do all that is in your heart. However, what we will see during the rest of our time is God gently rebuking Nathan here. Because Nathan gave David bad advice. I just want to hit on this briefly. Nathan told David, follow your heart. However, what we're going to see is the word of the Lord coming to David. And so I just want to firmly say if, if your advice to people or if a person's advice to you is follow your heart, that is bad advice. Because as believers, what we rely on is what God did to Nathan And that's speak to him. And God has spoken to us through his word. So that is free. But if we look now to verses 4 through 11. We're going to see God correct Nathan. And have the prophet Nathan actually tell David what's really going to happen. See, at first glance, we can look at this passage and maybe think God is being rhetorical here. David, are you to build me a place of worship? Are you to build me a house? However, as we continue to read, we we realize, no, God is actually drawing out a pretty significant point here. Since the days of Egypt... God had never once asked any of the rulers of Israel or judges to build him a temple. And in fact, David is the first person that actually suggests building a house strictly for the Lord. God is telling Nathan, Nathan, tell David, not one time have I gone out of my way to ask for a place. Not in Egypt, not in the wilderness, and not until now that David brought it up. And so as we continue to see God speak to Nathan, if we pick up in verses 8 through 11, God switches the attention here. He switches the attention specifically now to David and how he has blessed him. So God starts in that first section, verses four through seven, telling Nathan to tell David, I've never asked for a place of worship before. And now switches it to Nathan, remind David how I've been with him. It was me who sent you to the field to get him when he was just a little shepherd boy. It was me who was with him and blessed him in every battle. Even when he was kicked out of Israel, his own nation, and he fought with people that I opposed, I was still with him, blessing him. However, I will not use David to build this temple. See, God is ultimately saying this because at the end of the day, God is wanting to build a house of worship during a peaceful time. He says it here. In this section, I am going to bring my people to a place where they will have complete and utter rest. And in First Chronicles 22.8, we get a little bit of a wider picture. Because David is not a man of peace. <laughs> he does not have that reputation. God actually tells David, you've, you've shed too much blood to build this. And when this temple is built, I want a man of peace who is a ruler. And so finally, in this section of verses 8 through 11, we see God switch it up. David had started out saying, I'm going to build God a house and now we see God tell Nathan to tell David that I <laughs> I Nathan will build David a house. And so what we're seeing going on in these first 11 verses is that David is coming up with a great idea. David is more concerned about the glory of God than his own glory. I feel like I need to ask this question right now. Are you concerned more about the glory of God than your glory? I think we should really pause and think about that. Are you more concerned about God's glory than your own glory? Are you more concerned about your status, your appearance, your money, your finances, who you hang out with and associate with? Are you more concerned about your glory than God's glory? See, but God is telling David something different. He's saying, David, I've got a better idea. And so we come to verses 12 through 17, and, and this is actually the thick of the covenant. Verses 12 through 17, I'm going to try to read them quickly. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before you And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so what we see in verses 12 through 17 is God spelling out what his covenant with David will look like. And the way God starts this covenant is by telling Nathan to remind David, You are going to die. David, you're going to die. Your days are numbered. If James, the brother of Jesus, were before David, he would tell David, Look, your your days are going to be like a vapor. Your life is like a vapor. One day you're going to be here, and the next you're not. And guess what, buddy? When you're dead, the temple will not be here. Tell him, Nathan, that he will die, and no house for me will be built. However, God then tells David tells Nathan to tell David something even better, even though, David, you're going. To die, you will have an offspring. And guess what? That offspring, his throne and kingdom will be established forever. This is the most important part right here. And, and, and it is so incredibly crucial that we kind of focus in our, our minds right here because God is telling Nathan, tell David that I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God is telling him, your kingdom and throne, David, will be established forever. Both the throne and the kingdom forever, Nathan. Tell him that forever, this throne and kingdom will be established. Do we understand the weight of God saying forever? Or do we take our very limited perspective of being a teenager again and kind of just say, oh, best friends forever, which really means uh, as long as we're friends. Do we understand that the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end is telling Nathan to tell David that your throne and kingdom will be established forever. Brothers and sisters, when God is talking about forever, he is talking about an eternal infinity forever. This is not just merely a limited forever. It is an eternal forever. And Nathan, you make sure to tell him that I will be like a father to this son. I will be like a father and this man shall be like a son to me. And when he commits iniquity, I shall discipline him with the rod of men. Because like a good father, when he acts out, I will straighten him up. Oh, brothers and sisters. Are we seeing the weight behind what God is doing here? Do we see the weight of the covenant that God is establishing with David? David. That his kingdom will last forever? Not only that, but his kingdom will last forever, forever, forever. Did you pick up on that while we were reading through it? Three times God tells Nathan to tell David, this kingdom will last forever. And when we see things in Scripture in groups of three, God is driving home a point. That's why God is not just holy. God is not just holy, holy. As R.C. Sproul says, God is holy, holy, holy. And when we see groups of three, what God is doing is trying to drive home a point. And so, Nathan, you tell David that this throne and kingdom will be established forever, forever, forever. Your kingdom, David, it will last forever and my steadfast love will not depart from it. This might be hard for us to comprehend because every four years, uh, a new person looks to take leadership over this country. And sometimes they're here for four years. Sometimes they're here for eight years. However, their rule will only last for a limited amount of time. See, the kingdom of David will last Forever. Europe, Russia, Africa, Australia, North and South, America, Antarctica, they will not have kingdoms that last forever. Oh, but the kingdom of David will last forever. And so you, you may be asking yourselves, well, how is it that David's kingdom will be established forever? So you're, you're telling me, Max, that right now the kingdom of David is established and it's established forever? Yes, that is what I'm saying. And this is crucial for us to understand. See, although Solomon would be the next offspring of David, We are told in Matthew's family tree in Matthew 1 that there would be a greater offspring than Solomon and that this offspring would be Jesus and Jesus would be the final offspring of David. This is amazing. Ah, but you may be thinking, or you may want to ask me, what does Jesus have to do with a throne and a kingdom that lasts forever? Oh, brothers and sisters, everything has to do with a kingdom and a throne lasting forever through Jesus. That is because Jesus is the king and he is the kingdom. See, we see in Luke 17, 20, verses 21, as he was being asked by Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I'm reminded of a story of two men who went on a journey, and as they were walking through a forest, they ran into a man, and they asked the man, who's the owner? And the man said, well, the owner's in the midst of you. Well, these two men continued on their way and they continued to walk. And 10 miles later, they see the same man and they asked the same question. Well, who's the owner of this land? And the man said, the owner is in the midst of you. And 10 more miles, they continued walking and they see this man again, confused. They asked this man, are you the owner of this land too? And he said, the owner is in the midst of you. I'm reminded of a a theologian's comment on Christ's rule that goes, "There there is not one square inch on this earth that Christ does not say mine because he is the king and ruler over it all. And so you may be thinking, Okay, Jesus is, is the king and he's the, the kingdom. He, he even says so right here in Luke. But how is it that his throne and kingdom are established forever? Oh, I love pointing us to Jesus, church. See, God had told Nathan... I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of man. See, the father would send the son. However, this son would not commit any iniquity, but he would live a perfect and sinless life. And this sinless man who knew no sin would become sin. And although this son would not commit iniquity, he still would be disciplined. He would be disciplined with the rod of men, being beaten and whipped, being nailed to a cross, Dying a gruesome death, yet rising three days later from the grave to fulfill this covenant of establishing an everlasting kingdom. And this is a kingdom that we can be a part of. We are told that we can be a part of this kingdom if we confess our sins to God. And we repent and have faith in Jesus. Do you believe this? Are you a part of this everlasting kingdom? We're told in Romans 8 that we can be co-heirs. Oh, what a marvelous thought that is that we get to be co-heirs of the kingdom if we repent and trust in the king of kings. And so I just want to briefly conclude with this. See, this covenant, brothers and sisters, is truly amazing. It's amazing because God is telling us that he is not just establishing merely a kingdom with David, but he is establishing his forever kingdom. And we see God establish this covenant ultimately through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But I must warn us. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 10 through 11. That one day every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be two types of people in that day. There will be people in hell, under the earth, who bow their name and confess Jesus Christ as Lord with anger, bitterness, and regret with God's eternal holy wrath set on them. And there will be another group of people who will bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with joy and happiness, with God's eternal love set on them. However, until that day comes, we do have a king. And our king has commanded us to be obedient to his words. God has commanded us to be obedient in three specific areas. And it is impossible to say that a person is Lord and king over you without obeying what he has commanded you to do. And so what is it that this king has commanded us to do? Well, he tells us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Are we doing that as a body of believers that meet here? Or are we saying that we believe in this king, that this king has ransomed us from our sins without being obedient to his commandment? Those are the first two. The final one, before our King Jesus ascended to his throne, he told his disciples, now go out making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Once again, I want to ask us, Are we being obedient to the king's words? It is hard to say that Jesus is your king when you are not being obedient to his words. But brothers and sisters, there's hope. Because maybe you're feeling a sense of conviction. John tells us in 1 John that if you have sinned and you confess your sin, that he is righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you from all uncleanness. Let us be a body of believers that just doesn't go through the motions, but that listens to the commandments of the king. Let's pray. Father, Father, please, God, I ask that you would put your spirit in us, that you would fill us with an abundance of your spirit, that we would take your words serious. God, we praise your name that you have established a kingdom forever, that it is not through our works that we are saved, it is not through our works that your kingdom was established, but that it was through you that has established and reconciled us back to yourself. And so God, please... Give us a spirit of conviction to be obedient. Let us joyfully submit to our great King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.